New York visiting us, um, knew our um, lineage holder, Coben, studied with him for a while. So very, very honored to have you here. <clears throat> um, the title for this morning's talk is The Meaning of Bodhisattva. We use that term a lot, in, particularly in Mahayana style of practice, which we are, our lineage is in the Mahayana school, Soto Zen. And the Bodhisattva is a very important being in the Mahayana. In fact, it, it is one of the distinguishing features of the Mahayana school of Buddhism, uh, distinguished sometimes from what is called Hinayana, which from the Mahayana point of view is considered the small vehicle, <laughs> and the Mahayana, Maha, is the big vehicle. So we, are, we think of ourselves as um, much more inclusive uh, than, um, than the Hinayana early Buddhist school. There are still many uh, Hinayana practitioners, definitely. But the Bodhisattva, <clears throat> yesterday Michelle asked the question, is the Bodhisattva perfect? And that was an interesting question because it, it raised for me this whole distinction between perfection and imperfection. Somehow it's important for us to determine whether what we're doing or whether what somebody else is doing is perfect or whether it's flawed. Um, and I think this very, goes very deep in our culture, uh, that somehow the, this notion that there's something wrong, I'm flawed, I'm imperfect, and we often say, say that, you know, nobody's perfect, right? Uh, or I, I'm, I have flaws, I have imperfections. Where does that come from? Were we born with this idea in our heads that somehow we're imperfect and that we're striving to be perfect, why isn't it the case that we're just fine the, the way we are, just absolutely perfect, whatever perfect means, and, and what is our standard of perfection? So the Bodhisattva is one of those beings is actually a being for whom the adjective perfect or imperfect does not apply. It's irrelevant. And perhaps it might be even better to say that the Bodhisattva is not a being like this. It's not a, an embodied being. Thus, we, we, don't, we don't ascribe perfect, imperfect, flawed, or not, not. We're not referring to the characteristics of a bodhisattva. 
because the bodhisattva doesn't exist in a way that has characteristics. This bodhisattva is, is a being, but not necessarily a human being. The bodhisattva is more like an energy. Which is kind of an interesting way of even thinking about ourselves as energies that we connect with one another in terms of our kind of energy field. And when you come upon somebody, a being, any being, I came upon Wilbur and Osney beings the other day, and they were bodhisattva <laughs> beings. They were licking each other to sleep. And I was, I was watching them and thinking, oh, how beautiful. They were absolutely expressing bodhisattva energy. What is that energy? It's the energy of, sometimes we might say, absolute love or caring. One of the first uh, vows that we take, among many vows in our practice, and that's a whole other Dharma talk, is beings are numberless. I vow to what? Sometimes the standard admonition is, I vow to save them. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Here at Owan, we don't use that word save because it suggests, number one, a being that needs to be saved. And in our practice, we're already the way we need to be. So there's nothing to save. And the other side of it is that there is no being to be saved. Uh And moreover, we can't save anybody. Only individuals can do that for themselves. We can't really do much of anything for anybody else. We can do some things, which is bodhisattva energy, but it's not about saving anybody. Sometimes we, I, I've reinterpret, reinterpreting, reinterpreted the save to serve. I use the word serve. Beings are numberless. I vow to serve them. Still, that didn't seem quite right. Uh, It kind of made a distinction between beings and my kind of um, being a martyr (laughs) to them. That is, I'm just completely, you know, at the service of others. 
there's a kind of almost an arrogance about that. Um, here we've finally kind of come to the understanding of using the, perhaps the word awaken with others. Beings are numberless. I vow to awaken with them. Thanks. This is a group effort. There's no separation between me and beings. So we, we collaborate. We awaken together. Nobody is awake and then they, they are not awake. And we need to save them. We need to... This is a very Judeo-Christian issue that's very deep in our, in our blood. Uh, we're just always thinking there's something wrong with us. We need some other power to help us. Um, and it, some people, it works. But that is not our practice. So this notion of awakening with others which is bodhisattva energy, requires paying attention to others because we're doing this together. We, we, we don't do it alone. There's no aloneness here. This is sangha always. The bodhisattva energy is an energy that is pretty much continuously aware of others. It's a kind of big consciousness, big awareness, as sometimes we say, big sky awareness. So you are attentive to where others are, where others are suffering, where they need to be, to be uplifted, to be taken along, and where you need to be taken along with them. So this is a, a very vast, open attentiveness. It's almost like being a lifeguard, you know, on the beach, and you're, you're watching, you're watching what's going on in the water. Somebody might need help, right? So you are alert. You're trained to be alert. And that's, that's part of being bodhisattva, is being watchful, being aware of something somewhere needs attention. Bodhisattva. I'm going to give some examples which might help. A number of years ago, I entertained a bunch of Tibetan monks. <clears throat> they were doing a cross-country tour, musical tour, actually. <laughs> Strange instruments. <laughs> They actually, actually tried to teach me how to do this double uh, thing, you know, that they do with their throats. It was hilarious. <laughs> anyway, 
but anyway, they were staying with me. And um, I noticed that one of the head monks, he had a mala, um, and he would be twirling the mala, uh, twirling the mala. So we, we were talking, eating, uh, walking. He'd be twirling the mala. I brought her, him to Penn State when I was teaching there. And he gave a lecture, and as I was being introduced, he was being introduced, he was twirling the mala. And as I was watching him, I thought, is this an expression of like boredom? You know how sometimes we twiddle our thumbs or we tap our feet, or sometimes when I'm bored, I will just sit there fingering my mala. And he, he was there, he was like, like this. I couldn't figure it out. I, it's feel, it felt rude uh, on some level. And I, it was just bothering me. And I'm sure Michelle would have asked him. But I, yeah, I know. Uh, but I did ask him, finally, you know, what is this? He said, I'm blessing everyone. I'm constantly blessing everyone wherever I am. Wow, wow. That is, I mean, that woke me up. I went from boredom to blessing. This is a way of life. This is a way of being. This is a bodhisattva way. This is not... This uh, vow to help whenever it's needed, in whatever way it's needed. I'm watching. That, that again, Michelle, you're the star today. <laughs> when we talked about raking the leaves, and Michelle said, well, there are creatures under those leaves. And you're disturbing their, so I said, rake anyway, they'll find. <laughs> that wasn't being very bodhisattva-like. Right? It's attent attentiveness. Right? What does that creature need? Does it need to be ground into the, <laughs> ground into the soil? Uh, does that cockroach need to be sprayed? Does that hornet need to be? Does that hornet's nest need to be relocated or sprayed? It's just that constant, um, what is needed here to relieve beings of suffering, of their distress? One Many, one Passover many years ago, my brother visited. Uh, he lives in New York. And there's a wonderful bakery called the Rockland Bakery in New City, New York. And they have the greatest, I don't know whether you've ever heard of babkas. And yeah, <laughs> they're delicious. And the, this place makes the best babkas. And my, every time my brother visited, he would bring us a babka. I was married at the time. 
And as soon as I received the babka, my first impulse was to put it in the freezer for the sangha on Sunday. My husband's first impulse was to eat the babka. (laughs) And he said to me, there's the difference between us. You'll save the babka for others while I will eat the delicious babka for myself. That was a bodhisattva moment. Uh, I'm not always like, sometimes I just will (laughs) eat the babka. (laughs) But that was a moment when it wasn't about me. Uh, it was just immediately, immediately, it's not for me, it's for others. Living like that, um, bridging this chasm between self-centeredness and selflessness. That is hard. To somehow always be oriented towards others. Being a first responder, it's not about Oh, I should be saving people. It's not an idea. It's not a goal. It's now. I'm there. The Bodhisattva doesn't function with ideas. The Bodhisattva energy is I'm there now. I'm needed now. It's, it's like hormonal, it's visceral, it's not intellectual. You just feel it. Like, I know sometimes, uh, I mean, a little piece of this is when you're driving, driving along the Unionville Pike or the Julianne Pike and there's a deer in the road, roadkill. It's like immediate, oh! That's bodhisattva energy. It's not a thought. This is what I expect happened with our lineage holder, Kobinchino Roshi, the way he died. His daughter, little daughter, Maya, was swimming in a pond and she didn't know how to swim. And she started to drown. And Coben, her father, was sitting beside the pond. And he immediately jumped in. However, he didn't know how to swim either. And they both drowned. But that was what we call parental mind. 
the not an intellectual, but it's he was it instantly didn't think even about his own welfare that he didn't know how to swim and he might drown, but no, it was just immediate try to save her that's saving saving a being no thought to his own life. Who would want to be a nurse? Who in their right mind would want to be a nurse, right? (laughs) It has to come from some bodhisattva energy. Who would want to be in that position or be in the helping professions where you're in constant? Yeah, I remember my daughter reminding me. She was studying psychology in in college. I said, oh, you're going to become a psychologist, Amy. And she said, oh, no. (laughs) I don't want to be depressed for the rest of my life. Who would want to be? It has to come from bodhisattva energy, right? And this is just not, you know, it's not uh, uh, particular to any particular profession. We all have that in us. It's what it means to be human. But we're so guarded and and so self-involved that it's hard, it's hard to be, (laughs) it's hard to get involved. You know, it's like something's going on here that needs my immediate attention, but oh, I better not get involved. The Bodhisattva doesn't do that, doesn't pull back and say, I better not get involved. You know, what would happen if I get involved? Maybe I can be sued. Maybe, blah, blah, blah. Very different way of being. Very difficult. So, we talked about parent and child and this parental mind. What is it sometimes said that how would, how would you get a mother to lift a half-ton truck, put her child under it? So yesterday, Tyson was talking about a parent seeing his or her child sick and that the parent feels sick, is sick, feels sick for that. Bodhisattva feels, feels the suffering of other beings as if all beings were his or her own child. It's a heart thing. It's not a head thing. But what is the Bodhisattva able to do 
that a parent is also able to do, which enables the parent's feeling and compassion and own sickness not to debilitate. I think uh, Elena, you once asked a question uh, in that spirit. You know, how do you how do you maintain uh, your equanimity, your your capacity, the wellspring of your compassion, uh, keeping from burnout, keeping from running on empty. Um, the bodhisattva knows how to do that. And how does the bodhisattva do that? It takes a lot of practice. The bodhisattva is highly practiced. It doesn't happen easily to be able not only to feel the suffering of others, but to know how to minister, to help beings to be relieved from that suffering. It takes a lot of practice. And bodhisattvas are very highly realized beings. It's a highly realized energy. Sometimes it's said it takes lifetimes to develop this energy. So you can imagine. It's, it's not, we have it, but to manifest it, to be able to engage it, takes a lot of practice. And what does the bodhisattva energy, what is it able to do? It's actually able, if we take the parent-child analogy, the parent is actually able to see the child as healthy. Not merely as sick. As a matter of fact, as not sick at all. The bodhisattva can see the Buddha in beings. And because the bodhisattva can see the health, the bodhisattva can know how to get there. What needs to be done in order to bring that health about. Sometimes we say the bodhisattva can see the emptiness in beings. That is, that there's no, there's no real being there that's sick. There's just constant, constant change, constant evolution. So I don't see you as sick, my little child. <laughs> I see you as completely healthy. I don't see you as having problems. I see your true health, your true Buddha nature. And let's take the appropriate means to express that. The right 
medicine. And Buddha was known as a great physician because he, she, it, knew, they, knew what that being needed, that particular kind of distress, illness, sickness, struggle, suffering. That's, a, that's attentiveness. It's not just this generalization, you know, you need a better diet, uh, more exercise, it'll work wonders. No, you, intimate attentiveness. I feel this particular suffering and I see this particular being as fully healthy. That's true compassion. Not sentimental, you know, not, oh, you poor thing. But no, (laughs) you're perfect, you're beautiful. You just don't know it yet. You're not aware of it yet. So let's work together to manifest it together. I with you. I love to tell this story about visiting my daughter in California. She's a bodhisattva, periodically um, manifests this energy. And she says, Mom, you know, you kind of take care of people. You have this zendo and you're always working, etc. When you come to California, you're, I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be, you're, she, she said, you're going to be the queen. <laughs> and I'm going to be your servant. I'm going to make it meals, I'm going to take you places, we'll go shows, we'll, you're going to be queen, won't have to do anything. I said, that sounds great. It happened to be around Halloween when I was visiting, and I arrived at the airport, met her at baggage, baggage claim, and she happened to have stopped at a costume store in Alameda and got me a cardboard crown and she met me at baggage claim and presented me with this crown, this cardboard crown. And I took the crown and put it on my head at baggage claim and we started off through the airport to the car I was wearing my crown through the airport. And of course, it got some attention. Um, people were looking, and I, as I'm walking, I'm thinking, what if everybody were wearing a crown? As everybody was wearing a cardboard crown. <laughs> and we were all walking around with these crowns on our heads. And 
feeling what a different world it would be, you know, if we all saw the radiance and the nobility and the perfection of everyone. And so I keep going back to that that bodhisattva way of life, which is really the way of compassion, but the deepest form of compassion is for me to see you in your perfection, in your true nature, in your health, in your beauty. There are two other kind of um, wonderful little Zen stories which illustrate the bodhisattva way of being. The one is where two monks are sitting by a stream and One of them happens to see a scorpion uh, sort of struggling for its life. And the monk takes his cup and scoops the scorpion up and sets the scorpion down uh, on the bank of the river. And the scorpion bites him. And scurries back into the into the river starts drowning again and the monk takes his cup and scoops it up puts it on the side of the river ouch it's bite him again you know, this is you know this story this scorpion scat scampers back a third, it's always three times, right? <laughs> so the scorpion drowning again. Monk scoops him up, puts it down. The other monk says to him, You know, why do you keep doing this? You know that it's the scorpion's nature to bite people. And he said, I, I'm doing this because it's my nature to save beings. <laughs> just our nature. It's just who we are. This is why we're here. To awaken with beings. Why else are we here? For heaven's sakes. The other little story is two monks. No monk, no nuns in these stories. We'll have to invent some. And it just was a big storm on this beach. And the ocean uh, washed up hundreds, maybe thousands of starfish. And they're all also struggling for their lives on the, on the sand. And this monk is going along and picking up a starfish and putting it back in the ocean, going up, putting up this starfish, putting it back in the ocean. 
And the, uh, and the other monk says, why do you keep doing that? <laughs> you know, there are, it doesn't matter. There are thousands of these starfish. It doesn't really matter. And the first monk said, it matters to this one. That's bodhisattva energy. It's not, I'm thinking this through, <laughs> you know, and I cannot save all the starfish in the world. It's, that's, not, it's, that's not what it's about. It's not about me single-handedly saving all beings. That is true arrogance. That is not the bodhisattva way. And that truly is impossible. And sometimes, you know, you will say with this vow, you know, that's impossible. It is impossible if you want to do it single-handedly. But we don't do things single-handedly. We do things interconnectedly. So when we save this starfish, it's not just this one. It's all beings, because this one is connected with everything else. Again, I go back to Michelle. Yesterday you said, when I do this small act, somehow it seems bigger. Remember saying that? It is bigger. <laughs> it is definitely bigger. It's not a small thing. Again, this is another cultural thing that we think. Oh, it's just I'm just doing this small, I'm just a one-person thing. You know, I can't save the world. Don't be so arrogant. Of course you can't save the world. And it's not up to you to save the world. It's up to you to see what's right in front of you. And to help right now, right here, with this. Is there anything else I want to say? One more thing. What the bodhisattva does, what bodhisattva energy does, you could say is to help beings become fully healthy, fully realized, free of suffering themselves, not to do it for them, but to trust beings that together, together with all beings, we can awaken. So this notion of impossibility, you know, that we're taking on this vow of, of service or of um, help 
is not is about doing it together in our interconnectedness. That's why Sangha is so important. We can't begin to isolate ourselves, otherwise things do become impossible because we take it all on this. And so the Bodhisattva has deep compassion, not by taking on other people's suffering, but by seeing them as healthy and knowing that they can do it. If we can do it, if the Bodhisattva can do it, everyone can do it. Every being can do it. Cats can do it. Cockroaches can do it. Birds can do it. They can all be fully, perfectly who they are and what they are. So the Bodhisattva, like there's this, um, another saying, if you give a, a man, a person, a fish, you can feed that person for a day. But if you teach that person how to fish, they can feed themselves for a lifetime. The Bodhisattva doesn't do anything other than that. Helps a person to be fully free themselves. Not, not doing it for them, but helping them to see how they can liberate themselves, teaching them how to fish, not giving them sympathy, not giving them uh, pats on the head. Uh, the, that's sentimental compassion, sometimes idiot compassion. It's okay, let's get to work here. <laughs> you know, you are healthy, you are just fine. Let's do it. That is bodhisattva energy, and we all have bodhisattva moments. So let's, let's avoid thinking about bodhisattva as a being. They, they really don't exist as beings, except as they inhabit, as this energy inhabits us. Uh, so we don't call them perfect, imperfect, good, bad, or they're, they're just the energy of compassion and wisdom working, working in us. 